turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Matthew 11, it's on page 765 and 66 of your church Bibles. It's also, again, in your service sheets uh, for your convenience. Uh, last week, we, we looked at uh, the, uh, Jesus calling his disciples uh, and sending them out into uh, the mission. Uh, this week, we, we start to get these, these pictures of, of who Christ is. There are uh, important questions asked of Jesus uh, from John the Baptist's disciples, who Jesus sent his out. John's disciples come and ask him this question. This is God's word from Matthew chapter 11, uh, and I'll read the whole chapter, beginning in verse 1 through verse 30. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in other cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. 
and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Again, the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Most people uh, think of old portraits as as being uh, kind of boring. If you've ever gone to a portrait gallery, well, who's ever gone to a portrait gallery? I certainly haven't. Usually a portrait just contains an idealized uh, picture of a wealthy person, doesn't it? Or or maybe with their their family. But when you look at a a portrait, what you see is really what what they want you to see. Uh, The most interesting portraits are are often the the self-portraits that artists make of themselves. Because it's it's more than one, and and they they do it over over time. Rembrandt, for example, has has a series of portraits from, from various times and periods in his life. If you ever have been to a gallery where there's there's more than one hanging, you, you get a, a different glimpse of, of this man, this, this artist. You see, a, a series reveals different angles to a person, and it pulls out different aspects of their personality. When we think about Jesus, most of us in our, our minds have painted a single portrait of him. It's who we want Jesus to be. We, we stereotype Jesus, don't we? If you're friendly to Jesus, then maybe you have uh, Jesus the, the kind shepherd, or Jesus the healer, or Jesus the really good teacher. You have peaceful Jesus, and you have, have wise Jesus. If you're more hostile to Jesus, maybe you have uh, a nice man who, who never claimed to be God. Or maybe you have Jesus the, the fraudster, the one who, who uh, great stories were made up about him. The point is that we all uh, pick and choose the portrait of Jesus that we want, the one that we've painted for ourselves. This is actually dangerous and destructive. If you really want to know Jesus, then you have to, you have to, to pull together all the portraits to see who he really is, to see the fullness of our Savior. And that's what, what Matthew is doing in his gospel account. And he, he today invites us into, into the gallery to see all the different angles and all the different aspects of the person and work and character of Christ the Savior. And the next two chapters of, of a series of, is a series of six portraits of who Jesus is and the kind of Savior that he was sent to be. And some of them you, you may like and wish to embrace, and others of them you may not like. But what Matthew and, and Jesus himself would say is that you have to take all of him. You have to take him as he is. You can't pick and choose which, which aspects of his character you, you embrace and which works you wish to, to, uh, to, to hold on to. You have to take Christ as he is. You have to have the whole Christ. And Matthew presents these six portraits as a, as a response to this key question, the central question from the the disciples of John the Baptist. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Verse 3. We're going to look at, uh, this morning, at at three ways this is answered. 
from, from chapter 11, and next week we'll look at three more. But the, the portrait of, of Jesus that we, we see this morning are, are three. Uh, first of all, the portrait of a promised Savior. Secondly, the portrait of a righteous judge. And third, the portrait of the present Savior. Promised Savior, righteous judge, present Savior. First, let's look at the portrait of a promised Savior. So uh, I hope you, some of you remember our old friend John the Baptist. He was the cousin of Jesus. We heard from him way back in chapter 3, and we haven't heard much since, but, but he was preparing the way in chapter 3 for the coming Messiah, and he was uh, a, a bit of an odd fellow. Uh, he was living out in the wilderness, and, and people were, were coming out of the cities to, to hear him preaching. He had been kicked out of the cities, presumably, because of the things he was preaching and saying. He was a, he was a fiery preacher, and people were drawn to him and to his message, and they were coming out of the cities into the wilderness to, to hear his preaching, to hear his message, and to be baptized by him. And John was, was preaching and, 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 and describing this Messiah who was coming, and he was calling people to repentance and preparing them for faith. And the, the way he described this coming Messiah was that he would baptize with fire. So, so John's presenting this, this Savior as, as a, a fiery preacher like John almost in his, in his own image, in a sense. John was, was expecting a passionate ministry and seemingly one that was going to, to judge the peoples and the, the nations according to their works. But what have we, what have we seen in, in Christ up to now? What have we seen him doing? We're told that, that John heard about the, the works of Christ, and that's when he sent his disciples with this, with this question. Well, he's been, Jesus has been teaching, hasn't he? And he's been healing. And he's been calling sinners to himself. We're told, verse 2, that, that, that John heard about it again and, and uh, seemed to have doubts as a result. Or at least he was a bit confused. So John was in prison, wasn't he? And we'll hear later about uh, how he, he would die in prison. So he sends his followers and they, they pose this, this central question to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect another and again, it's, it's a central question that Matthew answers in these six portraits. And I would argue it's, it's actually the central question of our own hearts. Is Jesus the one? And the problem, I think, for, for most of us, and the problem within our culture today, is that, that very few people seem to be asking this question. Everyone seems to have answered it without coming to Jesus himself and seeing how, how he would answer it. And the immediate answer from Jesus is yes. It's quite a long yes, but, but it's a yes. But he says, but, but perhaps not the Messiah that, that John was expecting exactly. What Jesus tells them in, in verses 4 and 5, listen to what he says to John's followers. Go and tell John what you, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, Jesus points John to the signs that he'd been doing. The many healings, including the raising of the dead. He, he says that, 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 uh, that he points to the message that he was proclaiming. The good news to the poor. It's actually interesting, isn't it, that, that uh, he, he puts the, the good news to the poor is, is the one that he that he, he uses almost to underline. It's the summary. It, it comes even after raising the dead. 
Like if, if, even if, if raising the dead isn't enough for John, tell him that I'm also preaching good news to the poor. And then he finally gives the response that's required of those who hear and see Christ. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's a very brief response, but there's a lot in it. John the Baptist has, has this question that's, that is, is really an expression of his doubts about Jesus. And it may seem odd to us that a man like John the Baptist would have doubts. After all, he's the, the one who was sent to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. So you would expect that he would know the Messiah when he saw him, wouldn't you? The thing is that, that what we hear in John's question is, is really the same heart struggles that, that all of us have. We all feel this way from time to time, don't we? We're all thinking it at times. John's just the one who, who says it. And Jesus' response to John and to, to all of us is to say that, that he is the Messiah. But it's our, our hearts question that because he's not necessarily the Messiah that we want. We want to compartmentalize him. We want to put him in a box. We want to say this, this, is, the, this is what the Messiah looks like. But Jesus says it's the one who can take him as he is. The one who can take all of him. Who isn't offended by him. That's blessed. And so John's followers leave to tell John what Jesus says. But Jesus actually uh, unpacks this further. It's a much longer answer than just what he gives to John. And he does it by, by talking about who John the Baptist is. And he asked the crowd this, this series of rhetorical questions. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you, did you go out to see uh, uh, you know, a reed blowing in the wind? Well, no, of course you wouldn't go out into the desert just to look at a, a reed. Did you go out to see someone uh, you know, dressed in, in nice clothing? Of, of course not. Because people who dress nice aren't, aren't found in the desert. What did you go out to, to see? Verse 9, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. This is where things get a, a bit complicated, but, but let's, what, what you need to understand about what Jesus is talking about here is that he's actually talking about himself by talking about John. And track with me here. It does get, a, it, it's a little complicated, but uh, it may sound like he's, he's sort of giving this endorsement to what a great and important guy John was. But actually in doing that, he's saying something quite important about himself. And here, here's what I mean. What does he say about John? He says that, that John is more than a prophet, doesn't he? That he is in fact the one sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then he, he, he uh, cites this prophecy from Malachi 3 verse 1 as evidence. In Malachi 3 verse 1, God is, is speaking to his people and he's saying that, that the next the next prophet that, that he would send, the next messenger to come, would be the next to last revelation. He'd be the next to last man. The next to last man before God himself would appear. And then there, were, there was silence for 400 years before John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And Jesus says here, uh, everyone recognized John the Baptist as a prophet. All of you people gathered here went out into the desert to see the prophet. You went to see John. And if that's true, what does that make Jesus then? 
Well, it makes him the last man. It makes him the, the final and ultimate revelation. The, the true man is who Jesus is. The true man who is the, the one true God. The one who, who, who is the ultimate and final revelation because in Jesus, sins are forgiven. The effects of sin are, are, are bound up and healed. And the good news is preached to the poor and the humble. See, Jesus is claiming to be God here. And we should make no mistake about that fact. He's, he's claiming to be God. The messenger that God was going to send before his face, that is the face of God, he, he has sent before the face of Jesus. And we cannot let the significance of that be lost on us, even if it isn't obvious immediately to our modern minds. It was obvious to those who were gathered there listening to Jesus. He's claiming to be the promised Savior. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole, the whole picture that Matthew is painting for us here. That's the portrait. And the question for you and I is, how do we respond to that? See, Jesus told John that, that we are blessed if we aren't offended by him. But, but, also that, but he also tells, tells the people gathered there that, that a whole lot of people are offended by him. Did you notice that? A whole lot of people are offended by him. He, he talks about how people uh, who want to enter the kingdom of God, by, they, they want to do it by worldly means. The kingdom of God was, was subject and, and had suffered from violence, meaning that there's, there's people like, like the Romans who were trying to, to control God's people, who were trying to, to conquer the kingdom through their own strength and thought that their power, their, their might was sufficient to save them. Even God's people, the Jewish people, didn't want to follow Jesus, did they? They didn't want to receive him. They, they were offended by him. He says they were like children calling out to, to their friends and complaining that, that John and Jesus hadn't done the things they wanted them to do. You know, we, we played music for you and you didn't dance. They didn't perform in the way that, that, that the, the people expected their, their Messiah to, to, to behave. They didn't perform in the way they wanted them to perform. And he says, we, it, we, we just can't win with you people. You know, John, John comes, uh, John comes uh, uh, you know, fasting and not eating and drinking, and you say he has a demon. But I come to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm eating and drinking, and you say, look at this glutton who hangs out with and, and, and is found with sinners and tax collectors. There's, there's just no winning. Folks, what Jesus is saying here is that he's the promised Savior. And he says that, that our hearts are resistant to that fact. But you have to take him as he is. There's just no way around that. You have to take him as he is. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point that Jesus and Matthew are making here. We, we, may, like, we may like certain things about, that Jesus did. And we may want to say, you know, I like the healing Jesus. So let's be people who, who pray for healings and really, really focus on healing ministry. You may look at Jesus and say, I like, I like the teaching Jesus, so let's just, let's just really get to know God's word and, and really try and understand it. You may look at Jesus and say, uh, I like what Jesus had to say about the poor. So let's, let's really look out for the poor like, like Jesus did. And what Jesus says is you, you can't compartmentalize them like that. 
You can't come to him even with the, the expectations of John the Baptist who expected him to be this fiery judge. Jesus says you have to take all of them. He's incredibly complex. And you have to take him as he is. To com- embrace his compassion, to embrace his good news of salvation. And even to embrace the fact that, that he is actually the judge. He will judge us according to our deeds and acceptance of him. This is one of the funny things about Jesus, isn't it? You know, Jesus uh, responds to John the Baptist's question about, are, are you the one? He knows John's thinking, uh, John's looking for the judge. You know, the great God, the holy one, he will come and judge. And Jesus responds to John with, look at all the compassionate things I've done. But then he's got all these, these people gathered there, and, and in the next, the next breath he says, oh, but I am here to judge. And I'm going to do a bit of judgment now. That's what we see in our second portrait this morning. The portrait of the righteous judge. He never ceases to amaze or surprise us, does he? You know, he, he just sent his, John the Baptist, uh, you know, doubting, doubting him. He, he sends his, his people back with, with this view of him as compassionate. Saying he, he wasn't the fiery savior that, that John was looking for. But then he moves from the, the sermon explaining that he's the promised Savior to denouncing the cities where he'd done all of his works, where he'd done all of his miracles, because they hadn't really received him or repented. They were refusing to repent. And it's incredibly striking what Jesus has to say here, isn't it? Because he's, he's talking to you and I. He's talking to the people in this room. He's saying to us to, to take very seriously our relationship to him. He's saying to us to, to take very seriously uh, the, the gift of faith and repentance. And to take seriously the fact that, that through the words of the apostles and, and the prophets, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, that we've seen Jesus. He says that's, that's a serious thing. You see, Jesus here doesn't condemn the people that we would like him to condemn, does he? He doesn't judge the people we think he should judge. He's speaking to the people who received him. They saw him. They saw his miracles. They, they lived with him day by day. He's, he, he condemns his, his, uh, his, his uh, hometown where he lived as an adult because they didn't repent. You know, they may have been friendly to him. They may have been on speaking terms. They may have been uh, in the crowds amazed at the things he was doing. They may have welcomed uh, you know, the extra trade that came from, from people coming from all over to see this man, this Jesus. But they never actually embraced him as their savior. And Jesus says that, that for these people, these, these people seemingly close to him, that, are, uh, that, that they are under a greater judgment than, than even places like Sodom. You remember Sodom, the Old Testament city that was, uh, had her... Uh, uh, was destroyed by God. It had fire and brimstone poured out on it for its horrific immorality. Well, if you're a city, you don't want to be compared with Sodom, either favorably or in this case unfavorably, do you? See, this should put to rest any, uh, anyone who says that Jesus was all about love and never condemned. But it doesn't do it in the way that we like to think. It's a warning to us. It's a warning to us, I think, uh, a serious warning in two ways. First of all, it's, 
It's a warning to the church of Christ. And as the church of Christ, it should warn us to be the true church of Christ. My hope is that none of us come to to Grace Church to to play at religion. I hope we don't come simply because we we like learning about the Bible or because we uh, enjoy the fellowship. The, The people here are nice. I hope all the people are nice, but I hope that's not why you come. I hope you don't come because you enjoy my daughter's delicious cakes. If so, you're disappointed this morning. We just we, we have a box of biscuits. Yeah, but those are all reasonable reasons to, to come through the door. But if that's all you get, then Jesus says you've missed everything because you've missed him. If you've missed him, it's because you've you've been stubborn in your unbelief. Friends, don't be stubborn. Turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. He's he's going to to give you excellent reasons to in a moment. But that's the the first warning is it's to the church. It's it's to us. It's to those who who have seen Jesus, who've been close to him. But the second way I think it's a serious warning is actually it's actually a a serious warning to us as a country. We're whether we like it or not, we are we are a Christian nation. I know uh, I know we have freedom of religion, and I know the statistics on church attendance, but, but there, there's still an established Christian religion in this, in this country. And we're a country that's, that's received the message of Christ and has largely gone apostate. We've rejected his truth. I believe that, that these words have, have application to us as a, as a nation, that, uh, and, it, and it stands as a, as a stark warning of the, the dangers of, of seeing church buildings on every street and of singing a, a, a national anthem, a song that, that is in essence a, a prayer to God for protection over, over our nation and our sovereign. And yet the majority not believing one bit of it. The majority having rejected the truth of the one true God. There's serious warning and judgment here for, for our nation. This is a warning to us, and, and, and some of you here want to go, uh, you, you want to get distracted, don't you? You don't like the, the warning. You don't like what Jesus says here. So you want to ask questions like, but what about all the people in the world who, who haven't heard about Jesus? Or don't have the Bible? What about them? What about all the, the people out there who are doing uh, awful things, things that I would never, ever do? What, what about them? And Jesus has a simple answer to that. He isn't talking to them. He's talking about you. We see God's judgment against the wicked. Yes, Jesus mentions Sodom here. And what does he say about Sodom? He says that his judgment will be worse for you if you hear his calling and yet stubbornly persist in your unbelief. He says that his judgment for you is going to be harsher if you act like his friend but never actually embrace him by faith and through repentance of sins. So let's not pretend that that Jesus never judged anyone. He judged, didn't he? And he judged quite seriously. And he will judge completely and fully upon his return. And that should cause us to, to fear in a healthy way. Because the only one who has the right to judge is the righteous judge, the Holy One of God. And that's who, that's who we see presented before us here this morning. He's the promised Savior. He's the righteous judge. 
And we see in our, our third point this, this morning, this, this invitation actually to draw near to him. We hear in our third portrait the, the calling of a Savior who sympathizes with us if we come humbly to him. That's our third point this morning, the, the portrait of a present Savior. Again, Jesus surprises us, doesn't he? He moves from, from judgment, from, from wrath, to, from, from this, this serious and dire warning to, to calling us to draw near to him. Who wants to draw near to the Holy One of God? Well, the, only, the only one who can, the only one who, who, who wants to do that are the ones who, who've received Christ by faith, who, who know that their sins have been forgiven. See, Jesus concludes our portrait of them this morning by reminding us of the, the gift nature of faith. That faith is a gift. He says faith doesn't come through being wise or having uh, a rich understanding of history or philosophy. Faith and salvation come from being like a little child who's given a gift. When you're a kid, or, or if you are a kid, what was the, the best gift you ever received? What was your, your favorite thing? Maybe it was something that you uh, had anticipated and, and asked for for a birthday or, or for Christmas. And, and when you got it, though, did you, did you go around saying, look what I earned. Look at what I earned. Look at what I did. Of course you didn't. You went around saying, look at this thing, that, this, this gift, this wonderful thing that, that my parents gave me. See, if you had to earn the gift, then that would suck a whole lot of the joy out of it, wouldn't it? At least half of it. If your parents or, or whoever gave you the gift said, I'll give you this gift if you clean your room, then it's, it's not really a gift, is it? It's a payment. And it doesn't mean the same. A, a gift reflects the love of the giver, and it has to be freely given, and it has to be freely received. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that, that faith and repentance is something that, that God the Father has to give us. He has to reveal this to us. It's not something we can earn or something that we can achieve through hard work and cleverness. It's something that God has given according to his gracious will, verse 26. Jesus says this gift is so good because it means that that we can know the Father through the Son, Christ Jesus. He says that there's no other way than receiving the gift like a child. This is where we see and hear the tenderness of God, the Father's love for us in the ministry of Christ Jesus. He is a God who loved you so much that even while you were a sinner... He sent his son only to his, his only son to pay the penalty that your sins deserved. He loved you so much that he sent his son to call you to him with, with these beautiful words, these words we've already heard this morning in our assurance of pardon, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus invites us to enter his rest. And it's actually quite a unique rest when you, when you stop and consider the words that, that he's given us here. See, Jesus knows what, what burdens we suffer in this world. He knows the, the hardships, the fears, the anxieties the broken relationships, 
the sadness, the mourning, all the things you suffer, the guilt and the shame that you carry. He knows it all. And he offers you rest. But he doesn't say, come to me and I will, I will give you a bed to rest in, to lie in. Or I'll send you on an all-expenses-paid holiday. Rather, he offers you a yoke. That's not what we expect when we hear rest, is it? A yoke was a, an instrument of labor. It was something that was, that was attached usually to an animal like an ox. That would be used to, to plow fields and, and carry goods. What Jesus says is not come to me because then you'll be able to be lazy. Jesus doesn't suggest that, that a holiday with him is the answer. What Jesus offers is a burden that he enables us to carry. The burdens of life in this world become burdens we can bear when we bear them in Christ. How much lighter would you feel if you knew that you had no guilt or shame for anything you've done? That when someone accused you of something that you did, you you could confess it with a clear conscience because you know that, that God has forgiven you in Christ and you're His and that's who you, that's your real identity. That's who you actually are. See, that's the promise of the gospel for today. That's the, the promise of the present Savior. That in him we can, we can bear the burdens of this world because of the promise of the gospel for tomorrow, which is that we have a Savior who brings us into his Father's home for eternity. See, this is who Christ is. He's the Savior we were promised. He's the righteous judge. And he's the Savior that we need for today and the here and now. We struggle with this level of complexity in a person, don't we? We're slogan people. We want people that we can, we can uh, know and understand in a, in a simple slogan that we can easily wrap our minds around. You think about, you think about politicians. That's, that's what the best politicians are able to do, isn't it? Describe themselves in a simple slogan. In the last election, we heard uh, the Prime Minister slogan say, get Brexit done. And, and, and you know, he, he, he did that, I suppose. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't offer us a slogan, does he? He doesn't offer us simplicity. Because Jesus is complex. He's a complex person. He's a complex Savior. And we're tempted to just take one portrait and make that our portrait of Jesus. But Jesus calls us into, into the gallery where we can, we can see the fullness of his person, where we can embrace the, the beauty of every angle of who he is, of his greatness, his love, and his mercy that he's directed towards us as people. Let us pray.